Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Fight fans, we welcome you into another edition of Inside Boxing Live. I am your host, Dan Kenobi. I'll be with you for the next 30 minutes here for another hard-hitting episode in the world of boxing. Joining us on the show, you know him as the former trainer of Tyson Fury and the current trainer of Josh Taylor and BJ Saunders. He is Ben Davison. Got the best hair in boxing, especially uh, as a trainer. He's got one of the sharpest minds, too. We'll talk to him about uh, Josh Taylor's upcoming uh, title defense, a little Lomachenko Tiafimo talk uh, a little bit talking about uh, some of the things that goes on with training a fighter in this crazy era of COVID-19 you know no fans going to an empty arena all that very sharp mind Ben Davison and uh, we'll catch up with him to get his thoughts on a lot of different topics uh, but if you're watching us over on YouTube on the CompuBox TV channel thank you very much don't forget to subscribe leave some comments put a lot of fight previews on there if you're listening over on Apple Podcasts, do the normal thing rate and review and over on the Fubo Sports Network every single Thursday night uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern, doing great things over at the Fubo Sports Network. You can stream this show every single week. Uh, now, we have a, some good fights upcoming this weekend. This, I'm calling this a little bit of the calm before the storm. Uh, things are really going to start pick up next week when the Charlo pay-per-view uh, comes off. We're going to have a great preview show for that coming up next week as well. But this weekend, we have some good fights. There's some good action, and we'll start over with the Showtime Championship Boxing. Erickson Lubin is fighting Terrell Gaucher. This is a WBC eliminator at 154, so the winner of this fight fights the winner of Jermel Charlo and Jason Rosario, so they say on paper, you know, the, how those mandatories work. As for Lubin, this guy has been picking up the pieces since his stunning KO loss to Jermel Charlo. That was way back in October 2017. Now, keep in mind that Erickson Lubin was a red-hot prospect at the time in 2017. I think he was the consensus prospect of the year, had a ton of buzz, didn't need to fight Jermel Charlo, but he wanted that fight. Ended up getting knocked out in spectacular fashion, and uh, he's having to pick up the pieces. And he's done a good job picking up the pieces. He's reeled off four straight wins. He's got two notable wins in those four over Ishe Smith and um, Nathaniel Gallimore. Ishe Smith's never been uh, knocked down. He knocked him down three times early in that fight. So he has shown some great things in his last four fights. Now, Lubin is a very well-rounded fighter. Uh, his stats don't jump out at the page at you. He does a lot of things good, but not a lot of things great. But one thing that he's been working on since that stunning knockout has been his defense. He only gets hit with 4.8 punches per round since the Charlo KO. That's a very low number. It's actually number one. He's the best defender at 154 pounds. So that's one thing keep an eye on is uh, the defense of Erickson Lubin because that chin can be a little faulty. As for Gaucher, uh, this is his fourth straight southpaw he's fighting in Lubin. That's a plus for him. But this is a guy that has a little tread on the tire. This is by far his stiffest test. He lost to Lara. He drew with Trout. It's a crossroads fight for each, for each guy. But I think Erickson Lubin will come out on top. Uh, chief support for, for this uh, card is Jerron Ennis. Jerron boots Ennis going up against Juan Carlos Abreu. Now, Ennis, much like Virgil Ortiz, this is a guy who could and should be fighting with the elite at 147. He's only 23 years old. Footwork, ring IQ, power, toughness, you name it. He throws 66 punches around. That's well over the welterweight average. Lands 23 punches around. Doesn't jab a lot. Only two of his 23 landed punches per round 
are jabs. But this is a guy that could go in there and, and take out Abreu. Abreu's never been stopped before. He's been in there with Best Putin. He's been in there with Mean Machine. Been in there with Jamal James. Absolutely actually dropped Jamal James in his fight. So interesting fights coming up. F.A. Jagba also fights on ESPN, uh, his fight over first fight with top rank. So good stuff coming up this weekend. On the other side of things, we're going to catch up with Ben Davison. He's the trainer of Josh Taylor and B.J. Saunders. Joining us here now on Inside Boxing Live all the way from the UK, he is uh, taking some time out of his emerging stable of young fighters. Ben Davison joins us here Oh, ben, uh, how's everything going over there, man? Yeah, all good, thanks, Dan. Yourself? I can't can't complain. We got boxing every single week now. It feels like we're getting more and more into the swing of things. And it's funny, the last time we spoke and the last time I had you on the show, you were predicting the power, uh, the punching power of Tyson Fury. So you have any other predictions you want to lay on us right now? <laughs> uh, none for the minute, but um, yeah, yeah, certainly. But I suppose I was cheating there because I... Uh, I had my experience to uh, to fall back on on that one. So, yeah, it's almost like you felt that power in those pads. But uh, what a performance from from Tyson Fury! Hopefully, we get him back in the ring, uh, you know, later this year. That third fight uh, with Deontay Wilder. You got a guy coming up here, coming up on September 26th. Josh Taylor, uh, the unified champion over at 140 pounds, his first title defense. Uh, how's everything going with Josh? I know this is going to be your first fight with him. You obviously wanted to fight back in March, but have you taken that time in these last couple of months? I know that it's not just in the ring with you. You want to gel with your fighters outside the ring too. Has this been like a blessing in disguise for you and Josh? Yeah, to a certain degree, because it looked like, you know, the, the Canelo and Billy Joe Saunders fight may have fallen on the same date. Um, so the fact that um, that hasn't happened and, and uh you know, obviously in itself is is an advantage, and the fact that when you take a fighter that's come to you as a as a unified world champion, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit longer to make those adjustments. You don't want to overload them with information, so mm -hmm. that extra bit of time with Josh has definitely been a blessing. And uh, looking forward to it coming to fruition, um, God willing, on September the twenty sixth. Yeah, it's interesting. I was taking a look at this, and you see a lot of tr uh, fighters change trainers. You know, maybe later on in their career, looking to find a spark or you know their, their you know money thing. But very rarely do they change trainers in the middle of their career, the prime of their career, when they unified champions. You're getting a guy that I wouldn't say is a complete package. I know there's things you want to work on with that, but that's something that's that's a new wrinkle that I've seen in boxing. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because these sorts of things happen in boxing. You know, I mean, I had the heavyweight champion of the world in Tyson. Uh, he joined a new coach. Then I picked one up in terms of Josh and yeah. you know, fighters. They they come, they go, and but you know that doesn't change the the fact that um, I like to build relationships with my fighters before, during, and after that they're working with me. So mm -hmm. um, you know, it's part of the sport. And each fighter's career, they have one career as a coach. You know, we have a long career um, working with many different fighters. So you know, I just take it in my stride, really. Yeah, Josh Taylor coming up on September 26th. Big title defense. His first title defense from uh, his last. Hasn't fought in over a year. I don't think a lot of fighters are in that same boat where a lot of layoffs, not because of uh, their own doing, because of what's going on in the current climate of the 
of the world. But, uh, you know, we talked numerous times about the punch stats. You're a big proponent of the punch stats. Obviously, here at CompuBox, we uh, churn those numbers out. And something that you wanted to work on with Josh, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is his jab rate. His, uh, he throws, I'm, I have the numbers right here, you know, he throws a good amount of jabs, about 22 per round, which is slightly below the world, the uh, junior welterweight average, but he doesn't exactly land those at will. Is that something you guys have worked on, and how's it been so far actually in the ring with Josh? Yeah, I think with um, with Josh, is the his average probably will be a little bit lower because of the fact that he's a southpaw. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the percentage of them landing when you take into consideration his height and reach, um, you know, I do believe that those stats should be a little bit higher and should be a little bit better. And that was what I looked at. And then when I, you know, what I see from the eye, I then like to re- reaffirm. And I did that with the CompuBox numbers. I checked it. It come back that that was uh, the evidence was there to show that and support that. And we, we've been working on that. But also different types of jabs you know that you can throw a variety of types mm-hmm. of jabs you not every jab has to has to has to even land sometimes you may throw a jab that intentionally doesn't land um and it's just about helping him understand what he can do and being a little bit cuter with his lead hand and and setting up the rest of his work because we know that josh has got phenomenal and i check these again he's uh power punch yes. that's uh, yes. uh, uh, very highly up there that's what i was going to bring um, up Ah, I'll beat you to it. <laughs> you did beat <laughs> me. We're gonna hire you, man. You're, you're. I think we need to get you in here. Get another job. You could be a CompuBox. You could crunch the numbers better than I do. I'm looking at his his power numbers right now, and these are his last five fights: Regis Progre, Baranchich, Ryan Martin, Postal, and Oliveira. Forty-seven percent, forty-six percent of his power shots. That is outstanding number, given the level of opposition. And, you know, the level of connecting. I mean, 46%. Once you get to around 50, you're almost, you know, it's a lot that you're going you're gonna to win the fight. You talk about improving his jab. You know, those power numbers seem that you could, that's something you can build on right then and there. That's right. And, and, and if, if you, you can, uh, using the jab a little bit better, a little bit smarter, and, and landing that jab a little bit more is only going to help him increase his other numbers. So right. working on some of these weaknesses is only going to improve their strengths. And that's basically what we've been doing with Josh. And it's just great to be able to, Confirm that what I see from the eye, you know, the stats the stats tell the same story and singing from the same hymn sheet. Oh, of course. Uh, now, Taylor, obviously, this this fight, not going to look past him, but he has big fights on the horizon, none bigger than a u- total undisputed unification fight at 140 pounds with Jose Ramirez. We just saw him fight uh, a few weeks ago over on ESPN in the Las Vegas bubble. What does your make of uh, Jose Ramirez's performance? I think that... I think that Ramirez is a really good fighter, you know. I think that there was a lot of criticism about his performance against Postal, but I think that the fact that he even come through the fight, we know that styles make fights, and I think that the Postal and Ramirez fight stylistically was always going to be a tough fight for Ramirez. The fact that he come through it and won that fight was uh, speaks for itself, you know. Um, so, as I say, I know that there was a lot of criticism about his performance, but... I thought that he was always going to be in for a hard night, if not get beat. Um, and that's not because I don't think that Ramirez is a good fighter. I think Ramirez is a top fighter, but I also really highly rate Postal. So um, the fact that he come through that and was victorious, I think, speaks for itself. Yeah, a lot of guys are, are media types and fans are now giving the edge to Taylor in that fight based off that 
that last performance, a lot of things played into it. You know, no crowd in there. Jose Ramirez is a guy that routinely fights in front of 20,000 of his closest fans over in Fresno, California, uh, overtraining. This is the third time that fight had been on and off, on and off. He's been training for it for probably, you can go back to maybe December of last year or at least January. Do you believe in overtraining? And how is that something that you have played a part in, uh, you know, with this shutdown? Certainly, it's something that can definitely happen. Um, and as you said, I think that it may be the case for a lot of fighters at the minute because they've been in and out, in and out, in and out, training when they think they're getting a date. Then all of a sudden, the rules and situations change, so then they've got to stop. Then all of a sudden, it's back on, and nothing's really, um, nothing's really been confirmed with plenty of notice, and you can't make huge plans ahead. So that's definitely been an issue. I mean, how do we deal with it? There's lots of different... We collect data, you know, so there's lots of different avenues that you can take. Resting heart rate, HRV, um, heart rate data. We look at all of these wow. things um, to, to make sure that... Because the goal is for the fighters to perform and peak um, on the night. Now, it's not always possible, but you want to make it as close to 100% possible as you can. Um, so... It's definitely a factor. All those factors that you've mentioned there is, is the same for a lot of fighters, including Josh. So mm -hmm. it's something that I'm fully aware of, and, and we've got to try and make the best with, it, with the situation that we're in. Yeah, I'm getting tired of asking fighters, trainers, about the no crowd. You know, they have been asked that numerous times, and how are you going to react to it? How can you prepare for it? You really can't prepare for something like that. But for you, it's probably, may, uh, mistake me if I'm wrong here, it's probably your first time, you know, having a fighter with no crowd. I know you, I read something that you went to last week's BT Sport uh, event to kind of check it all out and get a feel for what it's going to be like. Is there something you can tell a fighter? Is, is there something that maybe you have researched or something you could maybe teach on about fighting in front of no crowd? Um, well, I decided to make decision for, for me and Josh to go to the show last weekend because I felt like it was important that, you become familiar with it and you're not walking in thinking, what's it going to be like? What's it going to be like? And that's on your mind all week. So I thought if you can go to the venue, get an idea and know what you're going into, it makes it a lot easier. When we got in there, it was like, oh my God, what is this? Like, <laughs> this is freaky. But as soon as a fight that, that got the juices flowing and, and was exciting and you zoomed in and, and focused, completely forgot about it. And I think that the fact that we was there, spent the night there, watched the show, um, it helped us become familiar with it and comfortable with the surroundings. It almost became normality. Yeah, smart. It's a good move. Good move on your part to do that and to get a feel for it because a lot of guys are, you know, the shock, like you just said, first walking in there. I've heard that from a lot of American fighters. It's just like, whoa, wait a second, where's the crowd? You know, if you, you know the normal things that fighters will do before a fight. I know that's a thing, something that's been holding fighters back in the Vegas bubble, you spent a little time in there uh, earlier before the shutdown, is that they can't go for their normal walks. You know, they can't go for their, their you know, look what David Benavidez over uh, on Showtime. Uh, he couldn't make weight because he wasn't didn't have a sauna. He can only use a gym for an hour. I mean, all things are different. These are all adjustments that we're all making on the fly. So it's an interesting time in the world of boxing, especially for trainers. You know, you guys think about everything. You know, you want to be one step ahead. Uh, so I, it seems like you're a guy that likes to prepare. So this could be kind of uh, fun for you in a way. Yeah, definitely. And a big factor is the fact that Josh is not a type of fighter that boxes on undercards. And there's still a crowd, but not much of a crowd. He's a guy that sells out arenas, yep. you know. 
18, 20,000 Scottish fans screaming his name. And, you know, that counts. That stands for something. That gives you that adrenaline. And and the fact that he's not going to have that may play a part. I mean, in my opinion, I'm yet to see an outstanding performance behind closed doors um, from a top-level fighter that's used to selling out arenas and boxing in big fights. So... Why do you think that you is? Know, it's, you think it's because they use that adrenaline to go for the kill, or, or it's, it's simply an adrenaline thing? It's hard to tell. I mean, I think the fact I, I think we've tried to cover as as many avenues as you can, like going to the show on the weekend, become familiar with it, know what you're getting into. So when you visualize the fight, you're visualizing what you've seen already. So and being comfortable with it, it becomes second nature if you've seen it a thousand times already in your mind when you when you step in there on the night. It's normal to you. It's what you've expected. It's yeah. what you've perceived. It's what you've seen. So, um, you know, but as you said, it's something that we haven't done yet. So it's hard to comment on. Yeah, it's hard. It's tough. Uh, a big fight that's coming up here in the States. That's probably the highest possible fight you can have in, in a bubble scenario is Teofimo Lopez and Vasil Lomachenko. I want to get your thoughts on, on this fight. I mean, this is just an awesome fight on paper. And I think I'm interested to see how it's going to play out now that you brought up the fact that, you know, you really haven't seen a really great performance. And now that I'm thinking back, like I really haven't seen one as well, but someone's going to have to come out on top in this one, all four belts on the line, uh, 140, uh, 135 pounds. You maybe could one day see Teofimo Lopez. How do you see Teofimo Lopez and Vasil Lomachenko playing out? It's an interesting one because I've I've seen Tiafimo in person in the gym and he's a he's a real thick set lightweight and um, that potentially could play a factor. I mean I'm a huge Lomachenko fan, huge Lomachenko fan, um, but Tiafimo's thick set and physicality could play a fight play play a part in the fight if that's the type of fight that he makes it. I think if if he allows Lomachenko to dictate the pace, then it could potentially be a real one sided. Um, one-sided fight, but I also think that if Tiafimo can can uh, use his his physical attributes and and be the one to set the pace in the fight, it becomes an interesting fight for sure. Well, that's what I think it comes down to. But Tiafimo, he's not really known as an inside fighter. Doesn't throw a lot of body shots. Doesn't land a lot of body shots. You know, he lands power. That's what he does. He doesn't jab a lot. He lands power shots usually from from range. So it'll be interesting if he can get inside. On Lomachenko. One thing about Lomachenko using the numbers is he is being hit a lot once he went up to 135. A lot more than he was getting hit at 130 and 126. He was elite defensively at that weight class. He's moved up a little bit. He's getting a little bit older. Do you believe in that though? In him, that's a that's a narrative that's playing out in this fight. Is like the old lion in Lomachenko, only 32 years old, hasn't fought in a year. Do you believe in in that type of narrative? Uh, I certainly believe in the fact that he's moved up to. He's not a lightweight. He's no, not a lightweight. Not. We know that. Neither stylistically, guys really are. Stylistically, in my opinion, um, Luke Campbell was was a, a real, real tough stylistic fight for for Lomachenko. Yeah. But he come through that and 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 boxed well, boxed smart. And I think the fact that um, he won that fight against a huge lightweight, mm-hmm. you know, speaks for his his talent itself. I mean, the last time I checked. His plus minus was seventeen. Is that correct? That is correct. Damn. I mean, I mean, you're making me look bad over here, bro. We gotta hire. <laughs> we gotta hire this guy. Hire this man. Yes. Plus, plus minus through the roof. I mean, there's only, uh, you know, Floyd has the highest plus minus of retired with the highest right? plus twenty five, plus twenty four. I want to say Lomachenko might be at fourteen or fifteen now, uh, right above, you know, guys like you know Terence Crawford. 
but you know, absolutely outstanding. But it's starting to go down a little bit because the higher that he's staying at that weight, he's gonna get hit more. That's interesting. Uh, Storyline. Before we let you go, uh, to some news in the heavyweight division is Dillian White. He's taking this rematch with Pavekin, and now there's a lot of chatter about whether it's too soon. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I can only uh, respect the way that Dillian White's gone about the loss. He wants to get back in there. He yeah. wants to put it right. Potentially, look, it was a heavy knockdown, heavy knockout, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I mean, I'm not an expert on it, but in terms of concussion, from what I understand of it, that it needs time to heal and heal properly. Otherwise, it's like picking a scab and it never really heals properly. So yeah. maybe it's a bit too soon. It adds interest to the fight. It's already a big fight. Like I say, I can only respect the way he's gone about the loss. He wants to put it right. Um, he's working hard, improving his game. No excuses, not moaned about it. Um, just getting on with his job, and I can only respect that. So it's a fight that I'm looking forward to for sure. Yeah, me too. And uh, you know, it's funny because there's an argument that MMA is more is safer than boxing because it's smaller gloves, and if there's a knockout, is better than eating maybe 200 or absorbing 200 to 300 shots. So there's an ar- argument for one side. There's an argument for the other side. We won't know unless you're in the body of of, of Dillian White. Lastly, this is the last thing I'm going to ask you. BJ Saunders, your guy. Are we going to see him in action? I know that they're talking about a, a fight with Callum Smith. I think fans would be. Really excited for that one. Maybe uh, a tune-up fight before that. That's another one of your prized pupils. Uh, obviously, the Canelo stuff is is another saga that's undergoing. The latest on BJ Saunders, and when can we see him in action? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of talks at a minute, but again, you can't make huge plans ahead. Right. Um, obviously, for Billy Joe, he's been a world champion for five years now. The fight that he wants is to test himself against the best, and that's Canelo. So if that opportunity come up under the correct circumstances with with as it was supposed to be in May, I'm sure Billy Joe will 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 love to take that task and and prove that um, he's he's of that level and, and right at the top of the bunch. So um, you know I'm sure there's 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 obviously plans uh, plans being made, but you can't make huge plans ahead. So it's interesting times. I heard that the British Boxing Board of Control had a meeting today mm-hmm. about the next phase of of what they can do in terms of shows and crowds, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that the promoters have been waiting um, for that today. So I'm sure that in the next week or so, there'll be some news. Yeah, I think that you guys are a little bit ahead of us in, in terms of fans. I know they want to get fans in this. Wilder versus Fury, uh, the third fight, and that would be over in the Las Vegas Stadium, uh, outdoor stadium. So I think you guys over there are a little bit ahead of us with getting fans. We need fans because uh, one thing you don't want to worry about is, is getting your fighter ready for a fight uh, without a crowd. You want to just worry about the numbers, the fight, and all that. Uh, yeah, so it's a mess. But we wanna, we're want to we looking forward. We've got big fights on the horizon. Big things are coming down the pipeline. Ben Davison, I really appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, I'm going to send you an application to be an employee at CompuBox. <laughs> no problem, Dan. Thanks, mate. Welcome in, everybody. The first episode of Inside Boxing Live. I'm your host, Dan Canobio. In this episode, we're going to talk to Jim Lampley, Doug there it was, the first ever episode of Inside Boxing Live aired on this week three years ago. It was the Monday after Canelo and Triple G, our first guest, was Jim Lampley. We had uh, Deontay Wilder called in at, at some point. It, it was it was something. I finally figured out what I should do with my hands. Keep them here. It's been a blast though, doing the show uh, for three years. I hope to do it three more years. We had uh, some great interviews. You know, Tracy Morgan, Michael Buffer, go up and down the list. Tons of fighters. Some infamous interviews. There's only been one fighter uh, that has actually hung up on me and not wanted to finish the interview. And that was Jarrell Miller. 
So uh, karma, I would say karma came back and got Jarrell Miller for not coming on and not finishing the interview. But uh, all in all, we have had great guests. We've had uh, great fans every single week. And I feel like uh, we need to get back to having big fights. Thinking back to the first episode we did was the Monday after Triple G and Canelo on Mexican Independence Day. This is the first year in, that I can remember that there were no big fights on uh, the holiday weekends, uh, the biggest weekends in, in boxing. So hopefully 2021 we get back to having fights on Cinco de Mayo and fights on September 15th weekend because that's are the biggest fights. This is the Super Bowl of boxing. But next week we are back with more. A Charlo pay-per-view preview coming to you next week. Thank you everyone who has tuned in over the last three years and more is on the way.